You know, I want this last sermon. I was really kind of wrestling with what to do about the sermons before the end of the year. And uh, I felt like I should lead on the theme of this year. This, I think this is the first sermon that I've said that I've, I've done about the theme of restoration. Um, and so I'm going to preach on the theme of the year, which is year of restoration. And this year has been really crazy for us, right? It's really been a crazy year for many of us. Um, for this church, it felt less like the year of restoration and more like the year of shaking and changes. Right? That's kind of what it felt like. It felt like less like restoration, but more like a year of loss for some of us. But I truly believe that our church is in the midst of restoration. God is bringing restoration to our church. And it's not going to end with this year. It's not going to end just because the year of restoration comes to an end. But I believe that this is just the beginning of what God's going to do uh, as, we, as he continues to restore our church. And it's not going uh, to, God will continue to restore and make right like the things of this church and the things in your life because our God is a God of restoration. Right? Our God is a God of restoration. Even from the beginning, when we look at Adam and Eve, you know, God makes, uh, you know, he makes the world, he makes the heavens and the earth and the sea and the land and the little fishies and the little animals. He creates man in his image and he puts man in paradise. He puts man basically in perfection, right? When I think about the Adam and Eve whole thing, I, there's no pain, there's no crying, there's no weeping. Right? A mosquito bites you and nothing happens. You know, like it was like this perfect society. It was perfect, and yet, you know, man sinned, and 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 perfection ended for us. Right? Man said we fell, and and we were separated from God. We brought this division between us and God because we sin. Sin. God can't have anything to do with sin. So now there's a separation. We're separated from God, and yet God declares this in Genesis. In the midst of the fall, as the fall is happening, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you, your offspring, and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about what Jesus is going to do to Satan, right? And what Satan is actually going to do to Jesus. Even from the fall of man, even from the beginning, God had his plan of restoration in mind because he is a God of restoration. God is a God. He is the God of restoration. And my sermon today, that's the title, is, is called The God of Restoration. And we're going to look at many passages today, but I want to start on what Connor read earlier today, uh, Jeremiah 29, and I'm going to start from verse 10. And this is like my life verse, right? This is the verse that actually when I was in the worst part of my life and I felt like the lowest point in my life, this is the verse that actually really transformed the way that I saw God and the way that I saw my destiny, the way that I saw my future, um, and, and the way that I saw my relationship with God. And, it, and I'll read it to you. For thus says the Lord, verse 10, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promises and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore to you your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to a place from which I sent you into exile. This passage is given to the people of Israel as they are about, as literally as they are conquered by Babylon and sent into exile. You know, you have to understand the situation over and over again. The Israelites sin against God, right? Like if you look at, if you read King, First and Second Kings, if you read the Chronicles, there's just this endless stream of just wicked kings and queens and just 
wicked people. Like it just describes. There's like I think out of all of the kings, there's only two uh, kings that were like actually like right. I think it was Hezekiah and um, and Josiah were like the only two kings that were like 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 they were righteous kings. Out of all of the generations upon generations of just wicked kings that lead their people, the people of Israel, following after false gods and and idolatry, and uh, and they've been constantly just over and over sinning against the Lord. And soon the God kind of like gets fed up and then, you know, he just brings down the hammer. Old Testament style. Bam, right? The northern kingdom gets, you know, exiled into Assyria. And then, you know, and then southern kingdom, Judah, they continue to sin against the Lord. And then they get taken by Babylon into captivity. And it's here that Jeremiah declares these words for the people of Israel. Even after they had sinned, you know, and got, gone, sinned against God, and God, in His anger, allowed them to be exiled. You know, they've literally lost everything. Jerusalem, the temple was destroyed. The city's ransacked. Right? It's all like smoldering in, in, in destruction. The temple, all of it is is basically just laid to waste. You know, this is the lowest point of the people of Israel's life. Right? And and you know, they're at that point where they no longer have control of their destiny. They're, they're in the midst of this destruction. And they're in the lowest point of their life. I want to ask you, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt so low that you don't even want to try anymore? And I believe that that's where the Israelites were at. Amen. They're at this lowest point of their life where everything, Jerusalem, is, is, is gone. You know, everything that they felt were holy and righteous is all gone. And they're at the lowest point of their life. They felt so low that if it felt like nothing they can do could get them out of whatever, whatever destruction and exile that they were in. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like so low that there's nothing that you can do? Like there's nothing. I feel hopeless. There's nothing that I can do to get me out of this funk or this circumstance. For the Israelites, it was all their fault. You know, things got all messed up. And seriously, there was nothing that they could do to get them out of the situation that they were in. And yet... Even as God, in his anger, allowed this to happen to them, he reveals to them his plan of restoration. He tells them, after 70 years have gone by, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have gone by, completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. It's at Israel's lowest point, God declares over them his plan to restore them. It's not because some, they did something right. Not because the Israelites were like, you know, like sin, 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 but they didn't get to this low point of their life. Right? There's nothing that Israel Israel did that God declares this 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 restoration plan over him. It's because God had a plan to restore them, because our God is a God of restoration. And this leads to me my leads to my first point. My first point is restoration is God's plan and His purpose and His His promise. God's promises. God promises us restoration. You know, Zechariah 9.12, it says, Return to the strong, stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. you know, Jeremiah 33, this is after 29 we just read. Um, God talks about all of the, the bad things that Israel had done to, to be in this situation. And he says, Nevertheless, but I will bring health and healing to you. I will heal my promise, and I will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and rebuild them as they were before. I will 
cleanse them from all the sins they have committed against me, and I will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on, on earth that hear all the good things I do for you. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for you. Can I get some water? God's restorative plan starts with God. It doesn't start with us. Oops. God's restorative plan is because God restores. It's his plan. It's his unction. It's founded on his will and his promise. And this is the thing that we have to understand about restoration. When God brings restoration, it starts with him. And because it starts with him, it's going to look the way that it the way that he wants it. Meaning we can't depend on what we think should be our restoration. And we can't blame God because his restoration plan doesn't line up with our plan. Now, like Ethan will ask me to draw him a picture. He's like, draw me a picture. Now I start drawing him a picture and he gets mad because it doesn't look the way that he wants it to look. I tell him, dude, if you want a picture that looks like what you would draw, then you need to draw it for yourself. But if you want me to draw you a picture, you're going to get what I want for you. You're going to get the picture that that I want to draw for you. I'm not going to draw a a five-year-old's picture for you. I'm going to draw one like a ten-year-old. That's that's (laughs) at my level, right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) So many times we think that that God's restoration, we tell God, God, your plan should look like this. You should restore us this way. But God's like, dude, I'm going to restore you the way that I want to restore you. Restoration starts with God and his plan. In the book of Ezra, in chapter 3, after the exile, the Jews are allowed to go back into Jerusalem, right? They all leave Babylon, you know, and there's a good king, King, uh, what's his name? Um, Sirius? Cyrus, Cyrus. Sirius is the radio person. King Cyrus says, you guys can go, you know, go build your city. They go and they, they uh, start to rebuild the city. And then they lay the foundation of the temple, right? And as they lay the foundation of the temple, there's all of these people that are cheering. They're like, yeah, yeah, we lay the foundation. But there's another group of old people. The Bible says that there were, there were these old Jews that were Levites and priests and, and people that had survived the exile. They had seen the, the previous glory of Solomon's temple. And they're just weeping. They're crying. Not because they're happy, but they're, be, they're sad because the temple that was the, the foundation of the temple that was laid was so much like less than what they had previously seen in Solomon's temple. That the foundation that was laid was so, so much smaller than the foundation of the temple that Solomon had built. And so they cry and they weep. They say that they couldn't tell what was crying and what was weeping because they were both so loud. In their eyes, this didn't seem like restoration for them. It seemed like they were going backwards. But they would never see or understand that the temple they were building would be the very temple that Jesus would come into. The very temple that Jesus would read the scroll of Isaiah. And the very temple that Jesus would come and clean. And, and you know, and do his flip his table. And this will be my house of prayer. God's plan of restoration may not look like our plans of restoration. We have to know and understand that he is greater. He's wiser than us. He knows the beginning from the end and that his plans are perfect. And we have to have faith in what he is doing. So many times I look at God and say, God, you should do things this way. 
when all of the shaking was happening and things were, I was like, God, I had a five-point plan of like getting that youth really back to where it was. I had it laid out, and I was telling God, God, you should do it this way. Step one, God. And then he's like, no, we're going to do things very differently from now on. And, and, and he, he really changed everything in our church. For, for some, it, looks like, it looked like we were going backwards. For some, it looked like we were, we were about to, to, you know, like to, to, to crumble, whatever. You know, like, oh, Itaewon is gone. Oh, no. I'm really sad about Itaewon gone, but God had a plan. It's part of his plan. And we have to be able to trust his plan for your lives. You feel like, God, you sh- I, I should have this by now. I should have this by now. And, 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 and I, you know, but, but God's saying, you know what? If you trust in me, I have all those things for you. I just have a different have a different purpose and a plan for you. But we have to be able to trust that his plan and his restorative plan is not our plan, but it's God's plan. It starts with him and he will complete it. Step two, no, no, point two, God's plan for us are good. They're not bad. His destiny for us is good. Sometimes it's hard for us to follow God's plan for us because it seems so different or so contrary to the things that we have in mind. So different from what we think should happen, how things should be. But God's plan for restoration for us are always good. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, God works all things together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. This goes back to our understanding of God's character and His, His, His attributes. Do you believe that God is good? I want you guys to like cl- kind of close your eyes and then and, and try to answer my question in your heart. Do you truly believe that God is good? Because a lot of times we think that God might in heaven, he seems like he's just playing with us. He seems like he's messing with us. It, thinks, it, it, it seems like he might actually be tricking us. But let me tell you, sometimes it feels like that. But do you truly trust that God is good? Do you believe that He is for you and not against you? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, we live in an imperfect world, but we have a perfect God. We live in a world filled with sin, but we live, but we have a God that is sinless. We live in a world filled with evil. But we have a God that is good. He is good. And we have to be able to trust in His goodness. Do you trust in His goodness? Do you trust in His ways? Because He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as, he- as high as the heaven is from the earth, my thoughts are not your thoughts and, my way- and your ways are not my ways. How many times we get caught up in how we think things should play out that we fail to see what God is doing. We have so many things in our mind, in our heart, like, God, it should be this way. This is the way that it should look for me. This is the way that it should look for our church. This is the way that it should look in, in, in Korea. This is the way that it sh- should look in our school. This is the way that it should look in our family. We have all of these plans and we have all of these things that we think in our minds that is, is right for us, but then we, we fail to see what God is doing how God is moving in our lives. We get caught up in what we think, but we fail to see what God is doing. And He's trying to take us to Disneyland, and we're complaining that we're stuck in traffic. 
We're stuck in traffic to the airport. He's trying to make us this amazing Thanksgiving dinner, and we're complaining that our lean cuisine, you know, microwave dinners aren't getting cooked fast enough. He has great plans for us. He has amazing plans for us. And so many times we get caught up in the things that we think could have be for us, and we fail to see what he's doing. Or sometimes we think that God has forgotten us because nothing's happening. We think there is no restoration because God isn't moving. He seems like it seems like he's forgotten us. He's not listening. He's not for us. We've been left at the supermarket. And when I was young, my mom literally left me at the supermarket. I remember I was like in fifth grade or something, and I was walking. You know, in America or even any supermarket, they have the aisles, and you go up and down the aisles looking for your mom, right? And like, and then. You think that they might be in, in between the aisles, so you go to the other side and you look. And you go. I remember one time I went up and down the aisle, I went to the other side, and my mom was not there. I was like, what? I started panicking. I was like, oh, no. I was like fifth grade, and so I shit it. I, shit, no, but I, I was a wimp back then. So I started kind of freaking out. I was like, what? And all of a sudden, my mom comes from the entrance. She's like, ah, Chino na Eloha, I forgot you. I was like, ah. I literally panicked. Sometimes we feel, we feel like God has forgotten us. God, this thing is not, it's not moving in our life. Like, this is not happening, God. Did you forget? You raise your hands like the kids in your class. Like, God, did you forget me? But you know what? In the Bible it says that it's impossible for God to forget. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. There's nothing. He, he can, he, it's impossible. He cannot forget you. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. God cannot forget us. God hasn't forgotten you. And certain things that's not happening in your life could very well be because God wants something better for you. It could very well be because His plan for you is greater but different than what you have in mind. Because it's not time for you to have that yet, or He might have something better planned for you in your life. We have to be aware of God's restorative plan and put our faith in Him and what He is doing. And ultimately, our faith has to be in Him, not in the things that He can do for us in our life. Number three, God's restoration plan requires change. Meaning when God brings restoration, some, some things are going to change. You know, those old men in, in Israel that were crying because the foundation was laid and and they, it wasn't as big as he, they remembered Solomon's temple. They're crying because they didn't want things to change. They wanted everything to be the way it was. But you see, in order for God to bring restoration, things have to change. Because when God restores, He's not trying to get you back to where you were before. He wants to take you somewhere better. God didn't free the Israelites so that they can take them back to Egypt to be slaves again. But you know what? When you read Numbers, that's exactly what they were thinking. That's exactly. God freed them from Israel, from Egypt so that they can actually go back to Egypt and become slaves. That's literally what they were thinking in their mind. They reach Canaan and the 12 spies are sent out. They check out the land and they come back and they're like, dude, these guys are, dude, these guys, they have grapes the size of my head. I don't know what we're going to do. It says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness 
Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They actually said that. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's crazy talk for me. God literally frees them from slavery, frees them from this oppression. And, they, and this, is a not, this is not after 40 years of wandering in the desert. This is literally like three months after they've been freed from Egypt, right? They come to the promised land and they're like, uh, let's go back. Can we go back? It seems harder than I thought it would be. They feared change. They, they feared the unknown. They feared failure. And they literally wanted to go back into Egypt, into slavery. And I told you the story before in the past about Mr. Chang in prison. I was in prison. I was in this uh, immigration lockup where people that are getting deported get locked up into this ship. And there was this guy named Mr. Chang, a short guy. He was a Korean-American. He was living in Korea, America for like 20 years. He had his wife. And, you know, I think his wife passed away. But he, he's been living in Korea for so long, in America for like 20 years. And then he, got, he did something bad. He got into jail. And then now they're going to deport him. And then... I think it was he was going on to his sixth year. He was sitting in immigration jail trying to fight his case. And everybody told him it's hopeless. And he would not leave. And, and, and people would come in and out, come in and out, and he would continue to stay in this jail because for him, staying in that jail was better than being free in Korea. In his mind, that's what he was thinking. You know, I even had that thought in my mind. Too. I, like, I had no idea what Korea was going to be like when I got deported. I hadn't been in Korea since I was seven years old when we immigrated. And all I remember is having to take a bath in the in the, the Bogyokans. You know, like, you know, like, there's no public bathroom. There's trash everywhere. That's what I remember. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And I actually for a moment thought in my head, oh, it might be actually better for me to sit here in jail than actually be free in Korea. This is the same mindset that was in the, in the minds of the Israelites. They would rather be, be, they would rather be slaves in Egypt than be free, and face the unknown. But you see, God's res- restoration requires change, because His restoration isn't about getting you back to the way things were. His restoration always leads to greater and greater things, because He is the God. He's He's good. You know, he takes us from glory to glory. He's going to take us into into the, into the greater things of the plans that he has for us. But you see, God's restoration, it requires change. But here's the thing. We have to take one thing into consideration. When God brings restoration, he doesn't change your circumstances first. His plan is to change your heart first. You guys have to keep that in mind. You know, we think, we ask God, like, God, bring restoration into our lives. God, bring restoration into my life. God, change change all these things around me. I don't like the way I, I don't like the plans that I, I don't like where I'm going, God. You bring me change. We're, we're asking God for all of this change. We're asking God for all this restoration, and yet there's no change in our hearts. The Bible says, in Jeremiah, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and you will hear, and I will hear you, you will seek me and find me when, what happens? When you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Before God could change your circumstances, God wants to change, to see change in your heart. How many times we want God to change the things around us and we have no desire to change what's in our heart? 
But before God restores your circumstances, he wants to restore your heart, mind, and soul. He wants your heart to be in a place so that when he does change the things in your outside and your surroundings, you're able to respond in the way that he wants you to. You guys understand that he wants to change your heart so that when he does give you these choices and when he does open these doors for you, that you will make the right decision, that you will follow his how many times we want change, we want restoration, we want things to be different, God. What happened? Well, well, then you need to start to really get your heart right with me. Start following me. Start depending on me. Putting faith in me and not in the things of the world, not in the money and the things that you can do in your education, all of these different things. Put your faith in me. I talked about it last week, but one of the worst things that can happen to us is a hardened heart. A hardened heart can keep us from our destiny. It keeps us from seeing God. It keeps us from hearing God. It keeps us from the changes and the restoration that God has in store for us. Because more than all the things on the outside, God wants us to be right on the inside first. Because He can change the outside all He wants. The people of Israel, God changed their outside. God changed their surroundings. God took them from from Israel, and then uh, God took them out of Egypt and placed them at the at the at the precipice of the Promised Land. Completely changed their surroundings. But what did they do? Let's go back to Egypt. God could change your surroundings all you want. If your heart's not right, they're gonna you're gonna find yourself continually in the same situation. Let's go back to Egypt. It has to change. But once your heart changes, let me tell you, when your heart changes, that's you are you are volatile in the hand of God. Because when your heart has changed, God can use you. God can use you when your heart is right. But if your heart's still in that place, God, it's you're going to continue to take your place, take yourself into the place back to your Egypt. Step uh, point number four. Lastly, God's restoration is a process. We live in a world of instant, instant, instant. We live in a world of fast, 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 right? We think faster. The reason why I use coupons is because waiting three days to get my stuff from G-Market is not good, right? We want everything fast. My computer, right? I want, I want to get the MacBook Pro with the, with the Retina, the what Ine has, because it's faster, right? It's also cooler, right? We want everything fast, 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 right? But you guys understand, that is not God's restoration philosophy. He's not about fast, fast, fast. He's about slow and steady. He's all about the process. He doesn't want to restore you fast. He wants to restore you right. And for Israelites, it took 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Do you think it was to punish them? No, not necessarily. It took 40 years of wandering in the wilderness for, for, for God to get rid of that mindset of saying, let's go back to Egypt, right? It took 40 years for God to remove that mindset because if they continue to have that mindset, they're going to continually want to go back to Egypt. When things get hard, they're going to be like, let's go back to Egypt. They'll take us back. We'll be their servants again. When, when they run out, when they get thirsty, let's go back to Egypt. When they run out of meat, let's go back to Egypt. When continually, continually, it took 40 years of wandering in the wilderness 
It wasn't because God lost his way. It wasn't because God forgot where the promised land was. It took 40 years for God to remove that mindset. Let's go back to Egypt. As, as soon as that mindset was removed from the people of Israel, they came back to the same place, to that place of about to enter the, to, the, to, the, to, to the promised land. And then what happened? The walls of Jericho fell, and they were able to, to conquer the, the land of Canaan. Because they no longer had that mindset of, let's go back to Egypt. It took them 40 years. The Jews in Babylon, it took them 70 years for them to hunger after God and reclaim their identity. Because what happened? For generations, they were just following false gods. They were following all these different religions. They are following all these different idols. And they had forgotten that they were the people of the one and only true living God. They had lost their identity. And so they go into exile, and it took them 70 years for them to start to hunger and yearn for God again. It took them 70 years for them to, to really to, to be in that place of just wanting to be the people of God. And when they finally are released from exile and you see them coming back to the Lord in true with repentance. In, ne- in Nehemiah, after they had been freed from Babylon and they rebuilt the temple and they actually finished rebuilding the walls, in re- Nehemiah 8, all the people of Israel are gathered before Ezra. All of these Levites are standing before the people of Israel. And, 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 and Ezra starts to read the law to the people. And this is what it says. Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were in, in instructing the people said, said to them all, This day is the Holy Lord. This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the word of the law. So after 70 years of being exiled, they come back, and it took years for them to rebuild the temple. And it all took another year, bunch of years to rebuild the walls. And then they're actually in this place where now Ezra is reading the word, is reading the laws to the people, and the people are just listening to the word, and they start to weep. They start to break down. They're crying. They're like, they're, they're weeping because their hearts have now been turned back to the Lord. How long did it take for that to happen? It took 70 years. God is a God of process. And within those 70 years, it's not like God left them. God was with them. Every step of those 70 years and the years of rebuilding, God was with them throughout each of that process. Because God is a God. He's with us in the process. He leads us. When we're down, when we're up. When we mess up, when we're doing good. God continues to be with us in the process. The people of Israel, their hearts come back to the Lord. Their hearts are no longer hardened. And when you read Nehemiah after this, after this time where God, Ezra reads the word and they start to break out and weaving, true transformation starts to happen in the people. They start celebrating the Feast of Booth and they start doing the rituals and the things that God had commanded them to do. And then and they, there's, a, there's, there's this whole chapter on just repentance by the people. The people just start to repent of their sins. And then they actually, all these, like, the, the, the really, just people that are on fire for the Lord, they all come together and they, make, they write a new covenant. They write this covenant before the Lord. God, we're going to do this. We're going to live our lives like this. We're going to be righteous and we're going to live holy. And we're not going to go after false gods again. They write this covenant and they all sign their name. There's true repentance. There's true transformation that happens to the people of God. And it was all part of the process that God was leading them through. And we know that after 400 years, man, they get all puffed up with pride. 
And they're, they're the same people fall into hypocrisy. And they reject Jesus and they crucify him. But even then, God continues to have a process of restoration for them. And we know that Israel will be restored back to the kingdom of God. His plan is a process. And, we, and he is with us in the process. And we have to be with him in the process. And I want to end with this today. God's plan of redemption not only saves us from damnation, it also restores the damage that was caused by sin. And for each of us, and for our church, God has us on a process of restoration. God wants, he doesn't want to just, you know, like, if, if his purpose was to just get us to heaven, he could have done that like that. I believe in you, Jesus. Ding! I'm in heaven. Whatever will we... But God has, God has a plan for us. God has a plan to restore us. He has a plan and a process of restoration for each and every one of you. And God doesn't want to take us back to where we were, but he wants to take us to a place that's like nothing that we've ever seen before. But his plan of restoration, it, it, it's not going to look the way that we want it to. But it's going to be according to his purpose. Everybody say that. According to his purpose. You know, Romans 8.28 doesn't say, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who want what they want, want things their way. No, it doesn't say that. It says, for those who are called according to his purpose. True restoration will come when our plans become God's plans. In order for that to happen, we have to be with Him in the process. Trusting in Him. Following in His leader. Trusting in His word. Following His word. In His ways. His steps. Because Jesus Christ is the ultimate restoration for us. He is the one that restore, will restore all things. Acts 3.19. I'm going to read it to you guys. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, so that he may send the Messiah who has been anointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the co time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago with his holy prophets. You Philly Buzan, I want to leave you with these words before our sabbatical. Trust in the Lord. Trust in his faithfulness. Trust in the words that he spoke to you long ago. Because he is a God of restoration. And he will work all things for your good and for our good as long as we are called according to his purpose. Let's seek his face. Let's seek his will. Let's seek his plan for our lives. Let's seek his heart. Let, let's ask God that his heart will be our heart. Let's seek his mindset. Let's seek the Word of God. Let's allow the Word of God to dictate how we live our lives and not the flesh that, that wants to continually be awakened in us. Let's seek His purpose. Let's seek His ways. And God has a plan for you. And God has an amazing plan for you. And it's a plan of restoration. And it's not a plan so that you can live an easy and comfortable life. 
but it's a land it's a it's a plan that is according to his purpose will allow you to live the best life that you can live for him not just for yourself but for him for the kingdom of god he has a plan to restore you and that plan is going to take you to something that's so much greater than what you can think for yourself right now i remember a long time ago that i used to have this plan in my mind of what i thought would if i didn't mess up i could have this in my life if I didn't, you know, like, go to prison, then I could be doing that. I, I lived with that regret for many years. But it wasn't until I started to really just say, God, like, this is me. This is my purpose. I just want to follow you. I just want to follow your way. I just want to follow the purpose that you have for me. And that's when everything started to really change. And, and you know what? I, I don't know the future of what we're going to be doing, and I don't know where we're going, but I, I know and if I follow God and if I continue to follow his leading, where I'm going to be is going to be so much better than what I can try to make for myself right now. And you, you guys have to know that God, is, God has you in his hands. God has you in, in his perfect hands. And, and his plans for you are good. He loves you. He has these amazing plans for you. And he's saying, I want to change your heart. I want to change your mindset. I want to change the way that you look at things so that you can follow me when I open these doors for you. I want to end with prayer, but I just want to say I love you all. And God bless you. And, and let's continue to seek his face. Let's pray.